praise the Lord. Well, we are all together, and we have his word. And today is Communion Sunday, so we get to look and study about the communion, the Lord's Supper that he has instituted, that he has reminded us of. So, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26? Take, eat, this is my body. Take, eat, this is my body. I'll read a text again. It's a brief text. Jesus says, while they were eating in verse 26 of chapter 26 of the book of Matthew. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it. Gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed I was just talking to Andre and to Marlo about the fact that Jesus paid it all. All of our sins washed away. And we pray, Father, that this morning you would remind us of that, that we would fully and wholly take you all as disciples. Not part of you, not some different caricature of you in our minds but what you proclaim to be in your own scriptures and so father i pray lord that any resistance to your son i pray you would soften any hardness of heart would you soften may this be the morning that someone opens their eyes a new creation in christ we pray for that hurting saint who comes this morning barely able to drag themselves, who just needs to be reminded of the gospel again. We pray for that uh, filled saint who is encouraged and wants to serve and wants to honor you. Oh God, wherever we are at in this pilgrim pathway, I pray you would do your mighty work. Show us the beauty and the marvel and the uniqueness and the wonder of Christ. Remind us again, bring us back to that place again. In Jesus' name, amen. Take, eat, this is my body. As we've studied the Lord's Supper... We do know that it is both a token of remembrance. We know that there's nothing magical in the cracker and the bread and in the juice that we'll see up in the back. But they are symbols of how we receive blessings from him. The bread is to remember his broken body. The cup is to remember the blood that was spilled. The eating and the drinking are pictures of receiving him. So what we do on the outside is we take the supper, 
but that is showing in itself what we, are, we, what we have already done on the inside and what we continue to do. That is that we spiritually receive Him. While it is not the blessing of the elements itself, it is a picture of how we do receive spiritual benefit. It's by faith we eat. It's by faith we drink and receive Christ spiritually, just as we receive bread and wine into our bodies. We know take and eat are the directions Christ gives for the Lord's Supper, but in fact, they're a picture of how we receive Him by grace. Every Christian knows they are to take and eat of Christ. And if you are not a Christian this morning and you come, we welcome you. Christ Himself welcomes you to partake of Him first. That is, to confess of your sins and to repent to Him. Every Christian knows that. Maybe today your conscience would be pricked. I pray that it would be. Maybe you're sick of living the way you are and you do know that Christ is the way. And I pray that Christ's gospel would have its way with you and would soften your heart. So quite simply, this text is... Christ himself has given it. I would urge you not to reject Christ's simple offer of himself. That's all it is. And maybe even as a Christian, his simple offer of himself, such that we would not be so wrapped up in our problems that we forget that Christ has paid for your biggest problem. By faith you take Christ, by faith you eat of Christ. So this morning, our prayer is that you would fully and wholly receive Christ by faith. Fully and wholly receive Christ by faith. Our dear bro brother Spurgeon helped me to see a lot of this. And as a believer, to receive his daily grace and walk in his sustaining power. And as someone who's still on the fence, you're still on the fence. You know that there's truth. You know that there is something to this word, even as the words are being proclaimed. There's something to it, but you're still on the fence. Christ himself is calling you to stop running and to fully receive him by turning to him in faith and trusting in his grace. Now, I have three points to fully and wholly receive Christ. And I just take it from the text. The first one is take. The second one is eat. And add a third one. I'm adding a third one on the back if you want to. How about drink? Take, eat, and drink. Take, eat, and drink. The word for take is lambano, to receive, to take hold of, to grasp. It's, and, and it's interesting. Jesus says, this is my body. Take, take. Jesus breaks the bread and offers it. Take it. Receive it. Let it come into your hand. This is how saints are blessed. Did you know that? They take it. Now, it seems like we're talking about obvious things, but let me tell you, the gospel is proclaimed here every Sunday. It's proclaimed in, on Wednesdays. It's proclaimed in every Friday. And there are still, even in our small congregation of folks who are here, there are still folks who have not taken it. 
And Christ offers this. Now, this is how unbelievers can receive blessings this morning. By the grace of God, you can take it from Christ. You do not make them. You don't merit them. You do not earn them. You do not deserve them. You take them in obedience to Christ. You take them. So, in taking, it just seems very simple. And yet we make it so complicated at times. The word there means to take. First, don't argue. I think sometimes that's what we do. Especially knowing what we've... You, you, you might come and you might hear the gospel and you know what you've done. But imagine at the table, they're sitting there and the disciples are there. None of them said, Jesus said, here, come and take this bread. None of them said, well, I'm not worthy to take this bread. None of them said that. See, that's the beauty of our Savior. It doesn't matter what you've done. I have a meal for you. You can come. But you have to take it. If you're poor and someone offers you money, it's good advice to take it. We were in Bakersfield and this guy was, this homeless guy was in a wheelchair and I'm drinking a cup of coffee and I just had the best breakfast. This is like my second cup of coffee already and he's out in the cold in Bakersfield. And I said, I don't, he asked for money. I said, I don't have any, but I have this cup of coffee. Do you want it? He took it. And I said, God bless you. There's a Christ who loves you. And he took it. Notice the disciples didn't sit there when Jesus offered the bread. They didn't say, well, 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 Jesus, you got to, you got to talk. We need to talk about my character. I'm not worthy to take it. Or you got to talk about my reputation. You don't know what I did. Or I'm not worthy to take something from your hand. You know what? Let me tell you something. If you're hungry and someone offers you food, take it, right? Amen? It's freely offered. Don't argue for conscience sake. I don't know if I'm worthy. Take it for necessity's sake because you need it. You're in need of the grace of God in Christ. Jesus says, take. I'm going to take. Are you going to take? Don't you have any desire for your own good? Some say, that might be selfish. Oh, but let me tell you, if Christ offers to me forgiveness because of his blood, I will take it, no questions asked. So don't argue with the Lord when he offers you bread. Don't delay. Don't delay. I don't think that Jesus offered the bread to the disciples. And just imagine this. He's about to be killed. And he says, take it. This is my body, and he offers it. And I don't think he held his hand out for half an hour. Holding it. 
Jesus offered it. And they took it immediately. Peter took it. John took it. Philip took it immediately. Some of you have been offered Christ all your lives. You've known the gospel all your life. Some of you come in here for the first time and you're saying, who is this Christ that you guys are so excited about? And I ask you this question, his hand is outstretched, offering the bread of life, offering forgiveness, and you're delaying. You got to take it. You're delaying being right with God. You're delaying right relationship. You're delaying new life. You're delaying grace and peace. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want? Grace and peace. There is only one way. It's through the cross. It's through Christ. You might be sitting there and saying, is that all I have to do? Really, Angelo, is this your sermon? Take. Yeah, that's it. Take. Eat. Drink. That God created all of us and we're rebels in our hearts. Someone tells us what the word of God says and we don't want to hear it. What God is like, what he calls us to do, we don't want to hear it. We want to go our own way. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. That's called sin. And the sin grabs our hearts and we become enslaved to it. All of us, there's not any of us that is immune to this and Christ offers himself he came put on a took on his body and he offered forgiveness he's not hiding he's here And if you would believe in him, God says you'd be forgiven. Now, do you want to be delivered from the enslavement of sin? He can rescue you. Take him. Do you want to be washed from the stain of sin? He can wash you from your sins. Take him. Are you spiritually destitute and bring nothing to the table? That's okay. That's okay. Take him for his gift is free. Take him. That is all. And if you sit there and say, I am unworthy, I've made a mess of things, there is no way I'll be accepted, Christ says, take. For my dear friend, this is the gospel. Don't argue. Don't delay. Don't alienate yourself. Don't alienate. Don't push him away because he is not like you. Sometimes I tell this story, I remember there was just this strong classism where we were at, where we were serving in another country. It was so strong that uh, I walked into a hotel. It was like a normal, kind of a three-star hotel, business hotel. And the driver didn't want to walk in because he felt unworthy to come in there. And we said, no, you come in inside. And sometimes we... 
we know what we've done. If we're honest and we look in the mirror of God's word, I know what I did. I know what I did to that person. I know what I did to myself. I know what I did to you, God. So uh, there's no connection to you, and that would be true had not Jesus come in the flesh and put on a body for you. He said, take, eat, this is my body. Notice, he says it, this is my body. He's not saying the bread is my body in, in, in uh, what we would call, theologians would say, transubstantiation, that it magically becomes the body of Christ, or co-substantiation, that in, in its mystical way, that it is somehow the body of Christ at the same time being simply bread. We're not saying that. All we're saying is that Jesus himself in his body is saying, this is a memorial of my body. This is what he had to be for sinners. He had to have a human body. Before the incarnation, he existed from before time. And when he was conceived... He joined himself to a human body, born in a manger, nursed by a mother, swaddled in cloth. The Lord of the universe snuggled and cared for. And he grew up as a child and he took up carpentry as a man. It's amazing, right? This carpenter is for the working man. Amen? He worked a hard day as you have, many of you have. He is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, coming to bless us so that we can take from him. It was his body that allowed him to suffer what you deserved. When he hung and said, it is finished, he hung there with his own body. The one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that he might become the righteousness of God. He made propitiation of sin. God's righteous justice was paid in his body. And now Christ says, take, take, take. Freely you can take. He didn't gain anything for this. He did it voluntarily for the glory of God. He was not forced he did this willingly so that folks may come and take of the fruit of his divine labor. Don't stay far, sinner. Come close. You can transform from sinner to saint simply by repenting of your sins and believing in him. You can't be a thief if it's given to you. Amen. You may say, I have no right. To which I would say, yes, my friend, none of us do. Except that he has invited us, amen, and extended his hand by grace, so by grace we take. In that upper room, there is no one who said, nah, nah, I'm not, I ain't going to do this, I'm not doing this. There's no recording of that in the text in the upper room. I don't see it in Matthew 26. So are you here this morning? There is a Savior. Maybe the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and you sense your sin telling you, do not take him. You could imagine your friends and the devil saying, do not take him. Yet you, right there, you must. You can say in your heart and mean it, I do believe, I must believe that Jesus died for me. I will take him to be my Savior. I will trust in him and him alone. 
The Bible says if you do this, you will never perish but have everlasting life. Every disciple, every future disciple will obey the command to take. Eat. Eat. It's almost too simple to understand. After service, I know all of you will go out and eat. Right? Because you're hungry. Every living person knows what it is to eat. But eating involves a deep, inward, personal reception. That's why Jesus says to eat. I want you to take all of who I am, my body, and bring it inside of yourself. Taking into yourself the food that is on the table. You are to take Christ who is, who he is, all of his cross work, all of his righteousness, all of it right inside of you. You eat this. But you know, when you eat this, it's for yourself. You cannot eat for your spouse. You know, sometimes we joke. Like if we're in a good restaurant and someone's not there, and Anastasia will say, hey, what are you guys doing? And we'll be on a date. And we'll be in a nice restaurant. And I'll say, oh, you know what? I'm going to eat this for you. Knowing full well it gives her no benefit. She goes, oh, thanks. Thanks, Dad. Thanks, Dad. Because it gives her no benefit whatsoever. It only benefits me. Because you can't eat for someone else, correct? You can't eat for your spouse. You can't eat for your child. You can't eat for your parents. You can't eat for your friend. You got to do it for yourself. Be brave to have them yourself. You can say you wish many to have them. You can say I love missions around the world to have them. But you must say I myself am going to have him. He's going to be my sustenance. He's going to be my strength. He's going to give me power. He's going to give me motivation. He's going to give me... Uh, ability to fight sin, to be out of the domination of sin, he is going to be my food. This This eating must be done for myself. I take this blessed Christ, I take him for myself. Eating is a necessary action. You have personally sinned, so therefore you must personally take and eat Christ. It cannot be by substitute. You personally are hungry. You must personally eat. Eating requires chewing, right? Isn't that true? Eating requires chewing. It's interesting. Christ gave us bread and he told us to eat. And as we eat and as we chew, we are to dwell. And what did he say? To remember these things, right? We're going to look at that text later on in 1 Corinthians 11. Remember, remember, remember. So this chewing is supposed to elicit some kind of remembering. 
We were to chew on Christ, to read and memorize and learn the truth you are digesting. To chew on the fact that he died for sinners, that he died in their place, to turn it over in your mind as you chew. This is not some mindless ceremony that we just do and check off. It is actually involved with our minds and our hearts and our thoughts. We're turning it over in our mind as you take the Lord's Supper. Dear Saint, in remembrance of Him and all that He has done. You keep Christ in your thoughts, in your heart, until He nourishes your soul as food does for the body. Christ likens Himself to bread. Bread is made for the eating. Oh, I love it when Jenny makes me sourdough. Oh my goodness. Some olives in there. Man, I'm, that's it. But you know what I don't do? I don't take the bread, put it on a table, take pictures, let it sit there and say, Wow, isn't this great bread? Looking around, days go by, weeks go by, it gets hard. Keep taking pictures. This is fantastic bread. Bread is for the eating. With a lot of butter, by the way. Amen? Why do I say bread is for the eating? It's not to be looked at. It's not an ornament. Christ compares himself to bread. Not perfume. Not makeup. Not ornaments on a tree. It is the sustenance that, by which we live. In proof, he intends to feed us, and that's why we should receive him. Moldy, rotten bread like manna left over with worms are meant to be thrown out. What use is Christ? This is what God is saying in his, as, as the bread. Unless sinners eat of him and are saved. You're hungry and there's bread on the table and you're letting it rot. Will you not eat? Christ wants sinners. He longs for sinners. Come and eat and have your fill. If Christ is as bread, he is uneaten, then he is dishonored. Amen. Him saying, I am your bread, says, I am here to sustain you. Take. Take. Eat. And drink. Look at the text here. He says in Matthew 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take. By the way, take, eat, and drink are all imperatives. They're commands of Jesus. Take, eat. This is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and says, drink from it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. My blood of the covenant. It's interesting he says blood. And as we are to look at this cup and we see the color of the juice, right? The color is supposed to elicit Visions, views of the degree of his suffering. So as we drink, we are to think of the degree of his suffering. Why? 
because he, he wasn't an old man surrounded by his grand, grandkids and everybody loving him and singing songs to him and him pleasantly and peacefully passing away. No, his was a violent death, a bloody death. And the blood that is there when you drink it, brothers and sisters, if your heart doesn't tremble anymore, if it doesn't thank him anymore, if it no longer can be moved by the violence of the blood spilled for you, there's something wrong. He wants you to remember that he bled drops of grief in the garden awaiting the price for sinners. He wants you to remember when you look at the cup, the color you are, you are to look at, how he was beaten and he was bruised, how they mocked him and they tied a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And it pierced his scalp and blood ran down his forehead and in the back of his head. He wants you when you take a, a look at that cup to, look, to remember that he looked across the courtyard and he saw Peter, his most vocal ally, look at him and deny him three times. He wants you to remember. He wants you to remember when you take the cup that he was punched and he was beaten in the false court proceedings. He wants you to remember that he was overlooked and an insurrectionist was chosen before him. He wants you to remember that he was beat with the cat of nine tails on his back, ripping the flesh from his back. He wants you to remember he was made to carry a cross, one he couldn't even carry himself. He needed help from Joseph of Arimathea. He wants you to remember that he was spit upon and mocked on his way to Golgotha. He wants you to remember he was whipped. You see, when we take the cup, we, we should not, done. You have to stop and think. Do this in remembrance of me. He wants you to remember he was nailed to a cross, one for each hand, one for his feet. He wants you to remember he was suffocating as he tried to breathe. He had to pull himself up to breathe. He wants you to remember that he was saddened as he was suffering to see his mom watch him suffering. He wants you to remember he was utterly forsaken of God so that you would never be. He wants you to remember that he pronounced and completed the task that the price for sinners has been paid. So when you drink, you are to think of the degree of his suffering, the intensity, the violence. You are also to think of the promise of his provision. Notice he says, my blood of the covenant. It's interesting, okay? We could usually just pass that up. What is he talking about? That he had promised himself to his people. That he would not break his new covenant. This is a new covenant that was promised, where what the old covenant could not do. 
the old covenant giving us the law, we know that the law, when, and we could not obey the law perfectly. So what did he do? He says, I will establish a new covenant. Put your, put your hand here and turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Isaiah, Jeremiah, right after Isaiah. In Jeremiah 31, there's many places this new covenant is prophesied about in the Old Testament to give us a fuller understanding. Jesus knew that his blood had to be spilled for this new covenant. And he says in Jeremiah 31 and verse 31, he says, from Jeremiah's perspective, he says, days are coming. Of course, that's future, right? declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant a new promise I will cut a new deal and here's the deal this deal is going to be one sided I'm going to take over this contract it will be unilateral only on me it's interesting whether or not you keep this covenant I'm going to keep it it's, it's, it's interesting that's the love of Christ, right? He says, this new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, it's not like the covenant, notice, not like the old covenant, verse 32, which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. No, not like that one. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. So he's saying, that old covenant, they broke it. They have proven they cannot keep it. And no one can. And here he says in verse 33, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Here's the wonder and the beauty, brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 26. He says, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. So what he says is now that in your heart... There will be this new ability, and we call this regeneration or the new birth. That God himself will write his law in your heart such that as you live this life, you know there is this consciousness that I have to obey him. On their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not teach, each, teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother. Know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them for I notice will forgive them their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more so what he's saying is when this new covenant is instilled folks will have faith in me and I will transform them not from the outside in but from the inside out that's biblical Christianity if, if maybe you come in here and say you know I'm just going to clean my life up and you have and your heart is not given over to Christ, has not been transformed by Christ, you're just cleaning the outside. The inside still needs to be cleaned. And God says, I will do that for you. And I think this, beauty, this beautiful promise that he says, I will forgive their inequity and their sin, I will remember no more. It's not that God has spiritual amnesia or anything like that. It's simply saying that when he looks at you, he will not look at you 
with your sins covering you anymore if you trust in Christ. I will not look at you as a sinner. I will look at you with the full righteousness of Christ now. So when you take the cup, you are to remember God promised he would do this through his son and all of my sins have been forgiven. Now in Ezekiel, turn to Ezekiel 36, he gives us even more detail of this new covenant that is promised. In Ezekiel 36, it's amazing. Jesus says covenant quickly and he knows, he thinks and he believes that you guys should already know this. We should already know it. He says in Ezekiel 36 verses 25 to 27. Notice he says, I will take you, let me start in 24. I'll take you from the nations, gather you all the lands and bring you into your own land. Notice in 25, it's, it's this beautiful verse. I will sprinkle clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Do you feel, you feel that? That's what sin does. It makes us feel filthy, disgusting, like you can't wash it off. I've done so many things, I can't wash it off. The psychologists tell me I'm okay. The world tells me I'm okay. My friends tell me I am okay. I know I'm not okay. I know it. I'm just running. And the Bible says that if we come to him in his new covenant, he will sprinkle clean water and he will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. Because the idols bring the filthiness. That which captures my heart before God. That's what, that which I love more than God. That's what I, I will sacrifice more than God. That's what I will give up more than God. I will hurt anyone for that idol. And God says, I can cleanse you from that. Just turn to me. I can wash it clean. Just turn to me. And then he says, and he's repeating the language of Jeremiah. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and new spirit within you. I love this. I will remove the heart of stone. And he calls it a heart of stone because it is a heart that is, there is no life. There is no desire to follow God. I don't want to read his word. I don't want to be with God's people. I don't want to be uh, listening to God's word. I just don't want any of that. And God says, I'm going to change you again from the inside out. And I do it by removing your heart and giving you a heart of flesh. This heart of flesh now, after I cleanse you and wash you, is going to beat for me. It's amazing. And believers know this. You wake up and you're like, I want to serve God. I want to please God. Or if you fail and you sin, you go, oh, I need to get right with God. Why? Because there's a tenderness and there's a heart beating for someone else now. I'll give you a heart of flesh and I will put, notice he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to obey my ordinances. You notice he says, notice he, again, he does the whole order of it all. He doesn't say, I'm going to clean your outside and then your inside will be clean. He says, 
I will put my spirit within you. And when my spirit is within you, I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. When you are transformed, you yourself will be careful. You yourself will want to follow him. You yourself will hate the sin that's in you. And so, all of this is amazing. By simply saying, when Jesus says, simply saying the covenant, here is my blood, drink and take of this. When you look at it, I'm to remember all of that. Christ, he washed my sins away. He gave me a new spirit within me. He removed my heart of stone that only wanted sin and he gave me a heart of flesh that are tender to the things of God. I want his word. I don't want my sin anymore. Now, notice the next phrase if we go to Matthew 26 again. In Matthew 26. Drink it from drink from it all of you, verse 27. For this is the blood of the covenant. This is what he's talking about. This is how you cut a deal, right? This is going to be a unilateral deal. My blood is going to pay for everything. And he says, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. There's the phrase. Poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. This term poured out speaks of the totality of sacrifice. So when we think about the cup, we think about the degree of his suffering, the blood that was required. We think about the promise of his provision. He talks about his covenant. And we also talk, think about the totality of his sacrifice. And where do I get that? Because this phrase, which is poured out, it really means a libation cup. In the Old Testament, there would be a libation cup of blood and they would pour out all completely every last drop. This pouring out, this is what Jesus means. He says, on the cross, I gave it all. It, it includes the totality. There was no drop left. It means, it's euphemism, means all of it. All of it. All of him for all of you. So here in this context, Christ received the absolute full measure of suffering on your behalf. All of it. None left over. And so you don't need to fear him. It is all done if you are in Christ. Not even a partial judgment. It is all done. Next. When you are looking at the cup, you are to look at the sufficiency of sacrifice. The sufficiency of sacrifice. He says, which is poured out for many. Let me read this verse for you in Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 10. This is who he pays for. John, the apostle John, looks into heaven and he says, After these things I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count. It's amazing. Huh? From every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches, 
were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Many, many. Amen. You're ever wondering if I share the gospel, if it's enough, if there's enough forgiveness for you and for someone else? Oh, more than sufficient. And lastly, when you drink the cup, you are to think of the effects of sacrifice. It says, for the forgiveness of sins, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to take you to another verse in Hebrews chapter 10. And you'll see how very consistent the word of God is. Hebrews chapter 10. It's the same, same story. In verses 14 to 17, Hebrews chapter 10. He says in verse 14. For by one offering, that is Christ himself, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us after saying, and then in verse 16, it's amazing, 16 through 18, he quotes Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. So again, he says, you are going to have a heart that desires to obey. That's a Christian, brothers and sisters. If you are truly in Christ, your heart's been transformed and you want to obey. Next, verse 17, and their sins and their lawless deeds... I will remember no more. Now, where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. Christ, as you look into the cup, you are to think about the degree of his suffering, the promise of the provision of the covenant. You are to think about the totality of the sacrifice which has been poured out. You are to think about the sufficiency of his sacrifice for many. And you are to think about the effects of his sacrifice that God remembers your sins no more. Can that even be? Can you start over in God, in Christ Jesus? Can you be washed? Can it be that I've failed Him so much? Can you be washed again? Yes, in Christ. So, why don't we pray? First, spiritually, you need to spiritually take, eat, and drink of him. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you of your goodness and your kindness. We pray, Lord, if, Lord, if there is a saint who is hurting or who has sinned and soiled themselves, I pray, they would ask for forgiveness and remember that this bread and this cup is more than enough. Lord, I pray if there is someone who is on the fence and has not given their lives to Christ, that you offer yourself to them. Would you do this work? We pray.
Help us to dwell on your word in Jesus' name.